This is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. I'm Todd McKay. I'm here with our federal director, Franco Terrazano. We're going to talk about an international push for a minimum business tax. It's hard to imagine politicians around the world agreeing on anything, but I guess higher taxes, that's going to unify things. Oh, man. And here, uh, here in Canada, in Quebec, you would think that most employers were just trying to hold on to employees. It's hard to imagine why employers would be paying big time overtime. But apparently, the Quebec government, yeah, it was firing out some big overtime bills. Uh, but first, uh, let's check in. Franco, how you doing, man? Man, you know, I'm usually a pretty high energy guy. You know, I think that's fair. But I'm feeling kind of sluggish today because I just found the best fried chicken place I've ever had. And, you know, I know that we're like the Canadian Taxpayers podcast, but if anyone from Wow Chicken is listening right now and, and wants to, I don't know, maybe throw a, a sponsorship our way, man, uh, it's going to be hard for us to say no. Uh, so you're like sluggish, but happy. That's yeah. sort of like, that's how you feel. Oh. It's so funny. happy. I made one of my few good health decisions this weekend. So it's Father's Day and the kids and they're, they're like, uh, we can, well, you can order whatever you want for lunch. Let's order from wherever. And then, of course, they started shouting uh, that they wanted KFC. They, they wanted a bucket of Dirty Bird. And uh, it's just over here. I can actually smell it on the breeze sometimes. And it just about knocks me over. It's so good. But, uh, you know, I'm in my 40s now, man. I can't, I can't survive this thing. So I, I actually turned down the Dirty Bird. Uh, kind of regret it, kind of stand by it. It's one of those things. But okay, let's get down to work. Governor General Justin Trudeau, uh, he needs a new Governor General. He needs one pretty quick. Apparently, he's looking at short lists here any day. He needs one because uh, it's like the worst kept secret in Ottawa right now that uh, there's going to be an election coming pretty soon. Who knows? Maybe things will change, but it really sounds like there's one. And if you want to hit the button on a election campaign, need a governor general. So the prime minister wants a governor general pretty quick. But before he uh, signs up a new government governor general, they really need to figure out some stuff. That whole position is an absolute mess. Here's a key example. The pension for a governor general is $150,000 a year. And it doesn't matter how long you actually held the job. So you look at Julie Payette, she only did the job for three years, did a terrible job, probably one of the only uh, governors general ever to basically get fired. I mean, theoretically, she resigned. But if she, I mean, it would have been 15 minutes later that she would have got canned if she didn't uh, jump. And she can walk out to $150,000 a year pension. And here's the key part. She doesn't have to wait till she's 65. Walk out the door. Next day, the checks start coming. $150,000 a year. We added it up. The bill for all of the pensions for all of the uh, former governors general uh, right now, there's five of them, about $18 million. That's crazy. The best time to fix that is before you've got a new governor general. Prime Minister Trudeau needs to get on that right now. 
Yeah, that's a huge bill, right? $18 million for these five former governor generals. That's assuming that they're going to keep collecting that sweet, sweet pension until they're 90 years old. But that's not the end of the gravy train for these governor generals, right? These former governor generals, they can expense us taxpayers for more than $200,000 per year. That is huge. And it gets worse because they can keep expensing us until six months after their death. That is ridiculous. I've never heard of any type of perks policy for anyone outside of government. I know that if I had to uh, resign from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, there is no way that Todd would be signing off on that expense check. Um, And you know what, not to mention, even over and above these crazy perks, a governor general's salary while they're in office is about $300,000 per year. So, you know, we do need to kick these governor generals off the gravy train. And the best time to do that is before Trudeau picks a new one. All right, let's jump ship just a little bit because there's something else that's really caught my eye over the last few weeks here. And that is the Kenny government in Alberta getting the ball rolling on the equalization referendum. The the government introduced the referendum question within the legislature. So I think it's safe to say that the fight begins. And speaking of the fight to the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we launched a equalization referendum campaign. You can check that out at fightequalization.ca. And the reason that we knew we had to get into this fight is because, you know, the whole equalization status quo has been really unfair for Alberta taxpayers. So if you look at all the federal spending and taxing since the 1960s, Alberta taxpayers have paid about $600 billion more to the feds than what we have received back. And of course, equalization is a big part of that story, right? Equalization is costing Alberta taxpayers about $3 billion a year or about $600 per Albertan. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's easy to understand why uh, the folks who get hit with the car, with the uh, equalization bill don't like it. Obviously, uh, it costs Alberta an awful lot of money. But here in Saskatchewan, we've kind of been on both sides of, of this. We're paying equalization right now. It takes an awful lot of money out of the province. We don't really see any clear benefit for it, frankly, anywhere. Uh, so that's bad. But my beard is now getting gray enough. I remember when Saskatchewan used to get equalization money. And I would say, honestly, it was worse. It made it so that politicians made bad decisions based on getting more equalization money instead of good decisions on, hey, how do we grow our economy, create some jobs, get people to move back to Saskatchewan? They didn't really worry about too much of that because they could keep cashing the check from Ottawa. You know, it's kind of like if people were paying their credit cards uh, for the kids, uh, even when they're adults. Uh, you're not going to promote good decisions that way. That's kind of what uh, what we've seen happening here. So we definitely uh, need to get on top of that. But okay, in a minute here, we're going to move on to, uh, Franco, you've kind of been lighting your hair on fire about these uh, global tax agreements. But before we do that, you know how big time podcasts actually have like promos? Well, we're in the big leagues now, baby. So we got a quick promo for you. If you go over to taxpayer.com, we've got a shop on there. We've got shirts, we've got hats, we've got all kinds of stuff. Most of them with snide, witty comments, making fun of politicians or high taxes or whatever. I'm actually wearing one right now. If you're watching the video podcast, shows a politician dumping money in a fire. My kids saw it. They thought it was hilarious. Of course, they're not that worried about taxes yet. Eventually, I'm not sure they'll think it's that funny, but... If you want shirts like this, more shirts, good shirts, funny shirts, making fun of politicians, 
go over to taxpayer.com, click on the shop link, pick a shirt, pick a hat, pick whatever, and then use the promo code podcast uh, and you'll save 15%. So there you go. Podcast is the promo. 15% is the deal. Go over to taxpayer.com uh, get some cool stuff. Okay. So we've got to get deep into this thing. And, you know, I got to say, uh, when you first started telling me about this global tax cartel, it kind of felt like one of those emails from my uncle. No offense, uncle. But some of this stuff gets a little bit crazy sometimes, a global tax cartel. But listen, this is actually a real thing, and it's too real. And it has major implications for our tax bills, but also for accountability. So, Franco, what's going on here, and why does it matter? Well, Todd, why do you think uh, Trudeau hasn't raised your taxes even higher? Well, it's not because he likes you. I hate to hate to break it to you that way, but it's... It's because him and other politicians, I mean, they're afraid if they hike taxes too high that you're going to leave, right? They're afraid if you hike taxes on Canadians too high, talent will leave, investment will leave, and all that stuff. I mean, that's called tax competition, and it is a beautiful thing. But what we're seeing now is a bunch of very powerful politicians around the world who are backing and pushing for a global minimum business tax essentially so that they can get out of competing on taxes. Yeah, and we need to be clear, really clear about two things. First of all, this isn't about tax evasion. This isn't about somebody, you know, filling a couple of suitcases full of cash and going to the Cayman Islands. If you're breaking the law, if you're evading taxes, you're in big trouble. This isn't about that. Also, we need to be really clear that this is the definition of a cartel. So a cartel is whenever you've got people who should be competing, who go into that smoky back room, say, hey, why are we beating each other up here? Let's work together, jack the prices, screw over uh, consumers. Uh, It'll be great. That's what a cartel is. Now think about that, though. If you had a bunch of grocery stores getting together and say, I don't know, raising the price of bread, How long do you think in minutes it would take for the media and politicians to absolutely lose their minds? They would, of course, you can't do that. When it comes to bread, you actually don't even have to imagine this. This actually happened a few years ago. A bunch of grocery stores did exactly that and they got smoked with huge fines. But listen, in this case, we have politicians, uh, they're not even hiding it. They're doing press conferences about this, talking about how they're going to stop the so-called race to the bottom by imposing a a tax uh, cartel, all agreeing to raise taxes together. Listen, I get why this is good for politicians. It takes them off the hook for making uh, tough decisions, but here's what it does for the rest of us. It means that all of these politicians are just working harder together. They don't have to uh, handle tough questions and they can raise our taxes. That's really what we're looking at here. Yeah, and, and let me just take a quick step back here and just provide a little bit more of an explanation. So all of this stuff, came to light really right before and during the G7 meeting that was taking place between these finance ministers in countries like Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the UK, and the US. So so really, these are some very powerful politicians, very powerful finance ministers who agreed to push for a minimum business tax rate of 15% around the world. For a little bit more context here in Canada, the general business tax rate is, is about from the low 20s to 30%, depending on what province you're in. 
but there are many Canadian companies that pay less tax than 15% due to these different types of exemptions. Now, the, the real people who are pushing this thing forward, leading the initiative, so to speak, is, is the U.S. Biden administration. And I found a very good quote from the Wall Street Journal explaining uh, the Biden administration's motivations behind all of this. And here's what the Wall Street Journal said. Democrats want a high global minimum tax that would end national tax competition and reduce the harm from the huge tax increases on U.S. business. So there you have it, folks. I mean, really the damaging thing about this for, for Canadian taxpayers and for our economy is that this type of global tax cartel really reduces tax competition among politicians. Yeah, and that tax competition is real and governments have to react to it. We saw it here in Saskatchewan, the city of Lloydminster. It's right on the border between Saskatchewan and Alberta. And for years, uh, Saskatchewan's taxes were just so high that almost every business went to the Alberta side to the point where the Chamber of Commerce just put it in black and white. Here's what they said, quote, all of the shopping malls, most chain outlets, hotels, grocery stores, restaurants, other shops and businesses are mostly located on the Alberta side of the city, which has no provincial sales tax at all. The situation Lloydminster perfectly represents the drawbacks of, of the uncompetitive nature of Saskatchewan policies for the business sector. That's what they said at the time in Lloydminster. And how did the Saskatchewan government react? It? Well, it, uh, it, or it provided a sales tax exemption for the Saskatchewan side of, uh, of Lloydminster because otherwise nobody would set up business there. That uh, tax competition saved people money, created opportunity right there in Lloydminster. Yeah. And, you know, the rest of Canadians should also be thankful for, for tax competition because the pressure from politicians in other countries also pushed Ottawa to create some better policies and to lower taxes. Um, let's let's you know go back in time a few decades to when the former finance minister, Paul Martin, was introducing business tax cuts in his budget speech in 2000. He said, quote, we need a corporate tax system that is internationally competitive. These tax rates must be brought down to allow our companies to compete vigorously. So there you have it. You have a movement of good policy, right? Lowering business taxes. And why did it come about? Well, because there was pressure from politicians in other countries who are also lowering their taxes. And, and, and this led to good outcomes for Canadians, right? Those business tax cuts, they helped stimulate investment. There's also some very good research done from the Montreal Economic Institute that showed that during the time of these business tax cuts, well, you had Canadian wages grow faster than they had in, in the previous decade and also faster than growth that was happening in other industrialized countries. Yeah, and then you look at the downside of it. So that's what we've gotten out of tax competition. You get some upside when governments find better ways to do things more efficiently. But let's look at the downside of it. This is a pretty slippery slope. So this is a global minimum business tax rate of 15%. But if politicians can all hold hands and do this together, how long do you think it's going to take till they figure out how to raise that tax or start bringing other taxes like income taxes into the cartel as well? This is just a first step. Yep, that's that's correct. Unfortunately, and you have politicians and bureaucrats already musing about it. Right. Here's what uh, France's finance minister said, quote, this is a starting point. In the coming months, we will fight to ensure that this minimum corporate tax rate is as high as possible, end quote. So there you have it right there from the horse's mouth. 
Um, and here's the even scarier part. So you have another international organization, the International Monetary Fund. Their bureaucrats just proposed a global minimum carbon tax. Yeah, a global minimum carbon tax. That sounds like a real problem. I think a lot of people around the world have a little bit of trouble understanding how big Canada is and how cold it is. You know, if you live in New York or Tokyo, it's hard to imagine uh, how things work here. I'm not sure we want folks in those other countries deciding what our carbon tax should look like. But listen, Freeland is saying that a tax cartel would stop big businesses from shopping around. I'm not sure she completely understands how big businesses would react to this. I'm pretty sure they're not just like, oh, okay, well, you got us. That's it. We'll pay these big bills. Of course not. They're paying big time lobbyists to fix problems exactly like this. You can bet those big Fortune 500 uh, companies, they're looking for special privileges and carve outs. They're happy to let the little guy pay these minimum taxes but they're going to cut a special deal for themselves. Yeah, well, that's exactly it, unfortunately, right? So instead of a situation that we want where it's businesses are competing for lower taxes, which really benefits all Canadians, you're going to have a situation where politicians are going to start to look to woo these investors with more subsidies and special privileges. And to no surprise, we're already seeing countries like Estonia, Poland, and Hungary who have already said that they're not going to support this minimum business tax unless they get special carve-outs. And, uh, you know, rumor has it that China is also looking for some special tax carve-outs there as well. And I have to talk about one other international organization, the OECD. They're really pushing this ahead as well. But even the OECD, even they made a case, they said that a case could be made for excluding international shipping companies, investment funds, pension funds, and, and sovereign wealth front funds from this global minimum business tax. So, I guess we're going to hear politicians in the coming days, weeks, and months talk about how this is going to be seamless. That is not the case. And we already see these countries and, and sectors that are pushing for special privileges and special tax carve-outs. Yeah. And you know what really strikes me as odd from the Canadian perspective? We can compete and we need to compete. The economy hopefully is going to be firing up here again as hopefully we've got to the end of COVID-19. If some of the countries we compete with, like the U.S., want to raise taxes, slow down their economy, hey, this is an opportunity for us. We should let them fill their boots and we absolutely go out there, cut taxes, go faster, go further, uh, and outcompete everybody. But instead, we're talking about joining a global car uh, tax cartel. Kind of feels like we're going exactly the wrong direction. You know, we've talked a lot about tax competition and, and rightfully so, which is so important for our economy and for taxpayers. But even setting aside the tax competition argument for a second, I mean, business taxes really do cause a lot of economic pain. And, and for starters, the reason is, is that businesses don't pay taxes. People pay taxes, right? So if we do see a push for higher taxes, well, guess who's going to be paying that? Well, a lot of consumers and customers are going to eventually be paying a higher bill, but higher business taxes also hurt workers because it means less money that businesses have to, to hire more workers, to reinvest in their operations, to increase wages, and to attract uh, productivity enhancing investments, which is really the driver for higher wages. 
And it's not just this theory. We have seen uh, University of Calgary economists, for example, they looked at the previous Alberta governments, the new Democrats' recent business tax hike a few years back, and they found that this business tax hike hurt families. It hurt households and, and it stung the two income household for about 830 bucks per year in lost earnings. You know, we've covered a lot here on the economic uh, front, uh, but I think there's another area that we really need to touch on and that's government accountability. You didn't vote for Biden, neither did I. We didn't have a vote in this. We don't get a say in UK elections, British elections, French elections, we don't vote in those places. The only people who should be raising taxes on you and me and everybody else in Canada are the people that we elect so that we can boot them uh, if we don't like what they're doing with our taxes and, uh, and raising them too much. Politicians in other countries, uh, listen, if they have an opinion about what our tax code looks like, happy to listen. But after that, hit the road, especially if you uh, want higher taxes. They're not accountable to us. They shouldn't be pushing taxes up. Yeah, you know, the Conservative Party of Canada has actually done a pretty good job raising this issue. Uh, here's what their leader, Aaron O'Toole, said in a statement, quote, Canadians and Canadians alone determine our nation's domestic tax policy and rates, end quote. And it's not just O'Toole. Among politicians around the world who have raised this issue, you have the government of Czech Republic. They're not accepting this global minimum business tax. And here's what an official in Prague told Bloomberg News, quote, we still consider setting the level of taxation as a substantial element of national sovereignty and a fair tax competition, end quote. And we also see some Irish politicians who are pushing back against this global tax cartel. And Todd, you know, I've been speaking with some other taxpayer groups across the world, and, and I spoke with one person from Ireland, and, and he was telling me that, well, it might not be just as easy as politicians think to put in this global minimum tax. They, they, might ha they may have to go to the people in Ireland before they can do that. Yeah, a, a referendum on letting other countries set your tax rates, that's going to be an interesting campaign if it ever comes to something like that. And really, it should, uh, because we're the ones uh, who pay for these kind of things. Okay, listen, Franco, thank you so much for bringing this up, chatting this through with us. Obviously, this is far from over. When you see a big uh, international push like this, there are so many moving parts, so much stuff that has to happen. Uh, we've got time, we've got an opportunity to fight this stuff, but we can't wait, we got to get on it. So good on you, Franco, to jump on it. But now we always like to talk about some specific waste issues. It's been blowing my mind in Quebec, they've had very strict lockdowns to the point they've had a curfew there for months and months and months. I don't think a lot of people are going out and doing fun things, definitely not going to the casino. And yet, the government owned casinos were racking up overtime. I don't understand how that works. Uh, Renaud Brassard is going to try to explain it to me. Okay, so we've got some waste to talk about, and not to stereotype, uh, but Renaud Brassard, a Quebec director, I feel like Every so often in this segment, uh, you make an appearance. What do you what do you got cooking now? I know it's it, it's like there's something about my province and waste, right? Well, you tell you remember how uh, everything was closed for most of last year. Uh, well, casinos in Quebec happened to be closed, but that did not stop uh, Lotto Quebec, the uh, provincial crown corporation to start of casinos, from from uh, incurring about two million bucks in overtime cost 
for its employees, despite the fact that casinos were closed for somewhere between nine and 10 months in, the, in last year. So this is baffling to me because all year, every time I talk to you, yeah. uh, you were whining and complaining about how you had a curfew. I mean, you couldn't go to 7-Eleven <laughs> at night in Quebec, let alone to the casino and play roulette or something. How, how do you rack up a bunch of, of overtime when the place isn't even open? How does this compare? Let's do the numbers first. So how does it compare the, the overtime numbers this year versus previous years? So this year, was it was about 2 million. We're talking about like 1.97 million or something, like close enough to 2 million. The year before, it was about six. So this is about a third the amount from last year. But here's the thing. When I say casinos were closed, so the financial year for the casino uh, corporation is between the 1st of April, so already in the first lockdown, all the way to March, where, as you mentioned, we had a curfew and a very long-lasting lockdown. Uh, and even in the summer, when things had started, had started to reopen, uh, well, Casino Crown Corp kind of decided to wait a little bit before it would reopen things, right? So take the Montreal Casino, which is about half of its revenue, only reopened in like mid-August nearly, before closing back down in October. So it wasn't open for all that long. And yet they still managed to have the equivalent of what they would have had in like four months, usually in overtime costs. Yeah, so this doesn't make any sense though. So if casinos were closed, listen, it was a bad thing that we had to close everything. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, there's going to be a follow-up from that for a long time. But the one good thing is, presumably you could save a little bit of money on, uh, on expenses, particularly stuff like overtime. Nobody's, you know, late for supper. Uh, because there's extra work to do. Surely to goodness, they could have saved some of the uh, the staffing costs. <laughs> You'd think that, right? And really, they, they didn't do much about it because for the first wave, they decided to keep all of their uh, all of their staff employed at full pay. They get 4,200 staff uh, that usually works in casinos on the floor. And I don't know about you, but I don't think that a roulette dealer can really work from home, right? So it's not like you can have like a Zoom meeting for roulette. Uh, but these guys still kept getting their full pay for all that time. So despite the fact that casinos were closed over 80% of the year, well, the staff compensation for people working in casinos was only down by 40%. And on top of that, a big chunk of that cash was overtime somehow. Oh, yeah. you know, if they were spreading the, the hours around to help everybody out, make sure that everybody got a little bit, you know what? I mean, that seems like the kind of creativity you expect, but to have some people racking up overtime while there's no work to do makes no sense. But it's also a disrespect for taxpayers. It, it, it really is. And look, it's, you're, you're right. It's people, people hope that they can keep employment and it's understandable. But at the same time, when you have people working for a government organization that get to just stay home, get full pay while doing nothing, while you've got uh, small business owners that are struggling because they're forced to close or they're forced to have massively reduced hours. Uh, or you have, you know, in early 2020, actually, uh, Quebec lost 826,000 jobs. Those are people who were not uh, lucky enough to get to keep their government job. They were not working for the government. Uh, and to think that there's all of this government staff that's keeping full pay as if nothing's happening at taxpayers' expense, it is disrespectful to uh, to all of us who pay the bills. Okay, but this isn't just like, this isn't just our hurt feelings, 
Oh, right. No, That's not, not just an issue of disrespect. <laughs> There's also an issue of like cold, hard cash here. So what kind of money are we talking about? Well, we're talking quite a lot because uh, profits uh, for that crown court, uh, casinos are a decent share of that profit. Of course, lottery sales were, were down as well. But uh, year over year, their profits were down by about 70%. So uh, in 2019, the uh, Lotto Quebec made $1.4 billion dollars. Uh, this year, it only made $400 million. Uh, and if you look just at the casinos and gaming rooms, so because Quebec has a couple of casinos, but kind of junior casinos that they call gaming rooms, uh, well, those lost $17 million last year. Uh, and that, to once again, put it in perspective, uh, the year before, they had made $825 million in profits. So if you go from $825 million profits to a loss of $17 million, that gets quite expensive. And when you have overtime costs and staffing and everything, that has that has a significant impact. Yeah, and it'd be one thing if uh, they were doing their best. Here's the thing about you, Renault, though. Whenever you come on, it's not just like, you don't just tell me the story and uh, get my blood pressure all up. Usually you're just starting. Like the gloves are just barely hitting the ice and you're about to start chucking what's what's the next step here what are you seeing down the road well we've already filed some access information requests about this uh you're absolutely right this is definitely not over uh what we're asking for now is to get a monthly breakdown for overtime uh because look casinos had uh even when they were open you could not have have as many people on the floor at the same time so understandably you'd expect that there's going to be lots of a need for that for that amount of workers so what we're asking for is to see a, a breakdown monthly of those overtime fees and amongst other things to see if there was any effort to kind of reduce that uh, in the months where casinos were closed. Uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see uh, what you get back there, but uh, I'm going to make a bold prediction here. I think you're going to be back here uh, and we're going to be making fun of this again down the road, racking up a huge amount of overtime in casinos that aren't even open while people are in isolation and under curfew i uh i feel like there's going to be more to rant about here so Renaud, yeah, thanks I, a lot for coming in i mean if if i were a betting man i'd definitely bet on that like that's those are very good odds <laughs> see what you did there well it's always a pleasure sir that's the end of the show before we go uh, I just want to say a big thank you to Jimbo, James Wood. He's our investigative reporter, digs up all kinds of stuff, but he also edits the podcast. Uh, it's embarrassing to say how many times I, you know, get the name of the organization wrong. So he cleans that up. So thanks to Jimbo on that. Uh, also, uh, thanks to you for listening. Please share this uh, podcast. Let a few other people know. And one more thing, stop by taxpayer.com. Go to the shop, pick a t-shirt, pick a hat, uh, pick a few things, and then drop in the promo code podcast and you're going to get 15% off. Thanks a lot. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, president of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. 
That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.